Thank you, worship team. Kids, as you see on the screen, you're allowed to go to Children's Church. I think they beat me a long time ago. Hmm. The Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want. Beautiful promises to, to sing and worship together. So thank you, worship team, and thank you again, Dan and Carol, for encouraging us so much with your story today. Thanks for your honesty and your vulnerability and giving us a window into your lives. So bless you. All right, well, this morning, we are going to talk about Sabbath, or more specifically, Kingdom Sabbath. So as part of our series we've been in on healthy church, biblical church, I think to be healthy, we need to live and celebrate and understand Sabbath. Now, I don't know about you, but since I grew up in the Christian tradition, I was very Sabbath confused growing up. Now, maybe you weren't, so good on you. I was. Now, first of all, Sabbath isn't really Sunday. Sabbath by Jewish or historical tradition was Saturday. It came, of course, from God commanding right from creation, as you see on the screen. The fourth of the Ten Commandments is, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And so as a young kid, when I heard that, it was like, this is a big deal. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Now, I already kind of sort of understood that as Christians, we kind of did the Sabbath thing on Sunday. That was kind of our Sabbath. But what do we do with that Sabbath day? Now, I don't know about you, but I, would, I, I knew that Sabbath day or Sunday was church day. That was pretty obvious. I also knew that it was supposed to be a day of rest. Now, as a young kid, I had mixed feelings about that because that just sounds really boring. You know, I don't know if any of you had that experience, but for me as a kid, Sundays were often boring. It was kind of like, my parents like, wanted to have a nap in the afternoon, like, what's with that? And it's like, oh, it's a day of rest. You kids, I think it was just an excuse to get us kids to be quiet, right? All the parents are kind of laughing because they know what that's about. Anyway, and there was, I just have to admit, there was lots of times that as the kid that I did not get any kind of significance or holiness to Sabbath. It was just kind of mysterious or boring. You know, I knew stuff like, you know, stores closed down. Most people didn't work that day. Farmers didn't work that day. You know, it's, it's the Sabbath. It's the holy day. It's Sunday. Now, most of you are, are too young to remember this, but, you know, back in the day, not only did we have church Sunday morning, but we had something called evening service. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, when you were a kid, now this is so back in the day that I know some of you have never heard of this, but there was a time when you actually had to watch what was on TV. There wasn't even video stores yet. You, whatever came on TV, that's what you got to watch. And if you were lucky, you had two channels, you know, if you could move your antenna in the right way. Well, anyway, for those of you my age and older, what came on every Sunday night at 6 p.m.? Yes! Walt Disney, the wonderful world of Disney, my favorite thing to watch. And I would be getting just to my favorite part, and then I'd hear the voice, Dottie, it's time to get ready for church. And there we'd march up and go to church and have to miss, miss the end of Walt Disney. Oh, how difficult it was to keep the Sabbath when I was a kid. Now, it always reminds me, talking about evening services, of the kid that was sitting in church, and I just have to let you know, this was not a Mennonite church, this was a Baptist church, and you'll know in a minute why. And the kid's sitting in church, and so bored, and it was a, a, had brick walls in this church, the kid decided, 
I'm going to count the bricks. So they're counting the bricks. But then there's this big plaque in the wall, and the kid can't count. Elbows his mom and goes, Mom, what's with that stupid plaque? I can't count the bricks. And she said, oh, well, those are for all the men who died in service. And he said, which one, morning or evening? Anyway. <laughs> I know, so lame. Had to give you at least one dad joke with Father's Day coming up next week. Anyway, I don't know about you, but I had lots of mixed feelings about Sabbath growing up. And then as I got older, I had to deal with what parts of Sabbath are the heart of God, biblical, and what parts of Sabbath are man-made traditions and legalistic traditions that don't need to relate to me or to the church anymore? And how do we deal with that with a changing culture and, and everything else going on? So, what is Sabbath all about? Now, originally, it all started with God and creation. And if you know the accounts in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 where we're told about God creating the heavens and the earth, it's very clear that God valued and established rest or Sabbath right from the very beginning. So if you look in Genesis chapter 2, it'll be, it'll be on the slide in front of you. But it says, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, just a small little aside on the word holy. We get so messed up by the word holy because we think that the definition is sinless perfection. If that's what holy meant, we're all in big trouble, right? Holy means being separate, being separated for something better. And the whole idea of, of, of being declared holy is that we are set apart for the purposes of God. And so we just need to get that in terms of even seeing why. Did God say it was holy because somehow we better find a way to be perfect that day? Or did he say it was holy because that day was set apart for something special? Set apart for the creation to enjoy. And that's, that was God's heart. So later, when God decided to call a nation... It was important that this nation lived out his value of Sabbath rest. This rhythm of rest was always God's heart. But unfortunately, the nation that God called kind of ignored that law, ignored that principle, ignored that gift from God, and they did a very poor job of following Sabbath and, and all of the other events connected with Sabbath. I won't get into those today, but there was a jubilee year and there was other things that they were supposed to observe that they just sort of forgot and disobeyed God on. So to make a long story short, after all that years and years and, and decades and so on of not following God's in Sabbath, judgment came to God's people and they eventually ended up in exile. And it was when they were in exile that the prophets declared to them and they finally understood we fell short because we didn't honor God in the Sabbath. That was a huge revelation to them. So, those people that were in exile, they made sure that they would never make that mistake again. That they would get Sabbath right this time so that they would never have to endure the judgment of God. So when the exiles came back to the land, the land of Israel and Judah that God had promised them, they were able to rebuild their temple. They were never politically 
um, powerful again. They were always ruled by others, but they were able to reestablish their temple and their religion. And they were so zealous to never, ever be judged and be exiled again that they began to make sure that all of their laws were defined and defined and expanded and expanded and they, they wrote many, many other commentaries and books in order to make sure in their zeal that they would never fall short of Sabbath again. It was in this kind of zealous, legalistic culture when Jesus comes along. Jesus, the Messiah, born to bring the true heart of God and to remind the people again of what God really intended Sabbath to be, what I call kingdom Sabbath, from the kingdom revelation of Jesus. But Jesus came into that. Now, the Jewish community at that time, like I said, so many legalistic laws around Sabbath. So there was a Jewish commentary called the Mishnah, and this Mishnah had 240 paragraphs on Sabbath behavior. This is just one line from the Mishnah of what they were not allowed to do on the Sabbath. So, let's see it there. No sewing, no plowing, no baking, no spinning, not even a tying of a knot, writing, putting out a fire, lighting a fire, or striking with a hammer. Those are all work and forbidden on the Sabbath. And they're, like I said, many, many, many. So again, the whole culture was, we prove that we're devoted to God, devoted to Torah, and we are the spiritual elite. If we keep the Sabbath and keep all these rules, that's what it's about to be spiritual. That's what we want. That's what the Pharisees were all about. That's the culture Jesus was coming to with his culture, with kingdom culture. And so Jesus spoke some things that very much got to them because his views were so radical from their perceived ideas. Now, so just for a moment, let's take a snapshot of how Jesus would have defined Sabbath. And you'll see that in the, in the next slide there. So here's a quick snapshot of Jesus' definition. So Matthew 12, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He says in Mark 2:27, and I particularly like how NLT says this one, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. Jesus. And then, of course, the very beautiful words of Matthew 11 that say, Jesus again, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke up upon you be and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Again, already try to picture Jesus' definition of Sabbath and what it was meant for in the midst of this very legalistic culture that was trying to make it into law. So, as we consider Jesus' definition, let's now look at one of these texts in a more complete way to find a really cool encounter that Jesus and his disciples had with these Pharisees and how Jesus needed to, uh, to figure that out. So if you want to turn with me, it'll be on the screen, but we're going to look at Matthew chapter 12. And let's begin reading Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. It says this. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, 
Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or, haven't you read in the law that the priests on, the Sabbath, on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, just in these verses, Jesus says three extremely controversial things that incensed and made these Pharisees and these religious people really, really angry. And I'm sure you can see. First of all, Jesus says to them, something greater than the temple is here. Now you're going, so? (laughs) That doesn't sound very controversial. To the people who were hearing it, this was extremely controversial. To the Jewish people, There was nothing more important than the temple. The temple was the pinnacle of their identity. The temple was the pinnacle of their religion. The temple was everything. Remember, they come back from exile a broken people. And they've never been able to politically rule their land again. They're they're always ruled by other nations. But the one thing they have is their religion. The one thing they have is this beautiful, beautiful temple where they can continue to worship God and make sacrifices and follow God. And so to them, the temple was everything. It was every part of the symbol of who they were as a people, their identity as a people. That's where God was. That's where God's presence was. Everything about the temple mattered. So when Jesus... And the seemingly minor encounter about Sabbath law goes, something greater than the temple is here. They were mad already, like really mad. Like, who is this guy that would dare make such a ridiculous and horrible claim about our sacred temple? So you just have to hear how controversial that was. And then put that together with his his comment later in verse 7 where he says, or verse 8 where he says, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. So who's the son of man? Well, obviously Jesus was talking about himself using an Old Testament illusion that they perfectly understand, understood to know that that meant that he was claiming to be Messiah, the promised one, the king, God himself. There couldn't be more blasphemy than saying that he was Lord of the Sabbath. So they're getting really incensed. Now, in, now you also see that in verse 7, Jesus quotes from the Torah for them, or not not from the Torah, actually, from the Old Testament scriptures. He quotes from Hosea 6.6, and he says, only you would understand this verse, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. If you guys could actually get that I desire real faith, authentic faith, lived out faith, not legalistic rules, in order to keep a law to prove your righteousness and holiness. If you could only get that, you might understand what we're talking about here. Now, you might notice that Jesus said, if you had only had understood, you see, Jesus had just said this to them not that long ago. If you go back to Matthew 9, Jesus says this exact quote to them again. And you know what's it response to? The Pharisees are, mo- are like calling out Jesus because Jesus is at a dinner party with Matthew, 
the hated tax collector and all of his dirty, rotten, sinner friends. And they were going, what kind of prophet or man of God would hang out with the losers and the evil people and the marginalized? What are you doing in there? And that's when Jesus said, do you forget what your own scriptures say, that I desire mercy, not sacrifice? They still weren't getting it. They were not getting the kind of kingdom, the kind of upside-down kingdom that Jesus was talking about. Well, let's go on with this text now. Let's go to verse 9. A little bit more happens. Next slide. So, verse 9. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue. And a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and pull it, lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. How could this event so incense them that they wanted to kill Jesus? So what's happening here? So the Pharisees say, we got to have a plan to trap this guy. His teaching and his ways are dangerous to everything we hold dear. we got to put a stop to this. So they thought they, they thought they had a really good plan. And so they bring someone to be healed, they thought, okay, the act of healing is work, so therefore we can accuse Jesus of breaking the Sabbath. Pretty simple plot, right? What Jesus shows them right away, though, they're, they're inconsistency and basically like, hey, you'd pull an animal out that was on the Sabbath and yet you won't help a person. He's almost like goading them, goading them, goading them into saying that, you know, are, do you have more mercy for animals than people? The other irony here is, did you notice how Jesus healed? Jesus did no action. Now, often when Jesus healed, he would touch people. One time he made a kind of a mud paste and put it on someone's eyes. He often would do an action, but this time he just spoke the word. So even then, they couldn't quite accuse him because he really didn't do any work, but he spoke healing. Again, he's just trying to show the inconsistencies of of what this is all about. The other thing that's kind of interesting here is that some commentators will suggest that when Jesus spoke the words, stretch out your hand, that he was basically quoting when God said to Moses, stretch out your hand. And they likely knew that and were, again, what was getting them so incensed? This this man telling them, this loser from Nazareth, some prophet guy telling them that he's the Lord of the Sabbath, that he's greater than the temple. He's using their history and their scriptures to correct them. And then, how can they argue when someone is miraculously healed? Even when they thought they could use it as a trap and he turns it into another demonstration of what kingdom Sabbath is supposed to be. So that's the kingdom Sabbath that Jesus taught and modeled. So, How do we respond? How do we take some of this teaching in in terms of how we would understand or practice Sabbath in our lives? 
Well, in Jesus demonstrating that he is Lord of the Sabbath or that he has the authority to be king and master and Lord over all tradition and Torah. As weird as that may sound to some of you, Jesus is the king. Jesus is the one with the authority over all tradition and all scripture. He is the number one representation of God. He is the ultimate authority. So when we understand that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, when we understand what God meant Sabbath to be for his creation, for each one of you, we don't need to view Sabbath in a legalistic way. You don't need to view Sabbath as a day. You can view Sabbath as a rhythm, a life rhythm where you understand and embrace the importance of rest as a gift from God and make it a priority in your life, but you have the freedom in Christ to figure that out based on your work, your life, your circumstances, and how things work for you. So, I think that's where we start. It's not about observing a day. It's about understanding a rhythm of rest that's a gift from God. Um, Just a quick quote from a commentator talking about um, a book called A Rabbi Talks with Jesus. Uh, that, That quote's on the screen here at slide number eight. It says, The Jesus he encountered, this rabbi, in Matthew's gospel wasn't about keeping all the rules. Instead, Jesus defied all the rules because he was convinced that the rule of God was about him, the king. That one might need, to, might need to sit in you for a while, but Jesus is that authority. It's not about legalistic following of a day or a practice, but it's about understanding what a rhythm of rest means. Now, secondly, as we apply this, I would suggest that Sabbath rest is a gift from God and is so important because Jesus modeled it. Jesus modeled true Sabbath. On the scriptures, it says 11 different times in the Gospels, it says that Jesus withdrew. Now here's what's amazing to me. Jesus himself, the Messiah, Jesus, fully human, fully divine, and yet that fully human, fully divine Jesus understood and embraced and accepted his human limitations. He modeled the importance of rest and Sabbath, needing time to withdraw, withdraw from his work, withdraw even from his very short three-and-a-half-year ministry season, still 11 times Jesus withdrew because he was modeling how important it was. You know, in our culture today, I feel like we wear something as kind of a badge of honor. And what I would suggest that badge of honor is, it's busyness. We love to have a big, I'm busy. Because the busier person is the most valued person, right? What's usually about the second thing we say after, hi, hi, how are you? Oh, so busy. Oh, and then the other person, oh, you should hear about how busy I, my life is. And we just love that badge of honor of whoever is the busiest must be the greatest, must be the most resourceful, must be the hardest worker, must be the most successful. And we wear it like a badge. Now, let me be very clear. Good work ethic is an awesome value to have. And that's very biblical as well. And I, I honor that. I know there's many of you that have an incredible work, eth- work ethic. But when a good work ethic results in seeing rest as something negative, 
we might have a problem then. You see, sometimes people see rest as, even when people joke about, ah, sleep is for the weak. I'll sleep when I'm dead. I don't know. Death might come sooner if you don't get some sleep. But often I think we think that rest is for the weak. I'm strong. I can work. I've got a great work ethic. It's lazy people that need rest. I can work all the time. That's, that's okay. I'm not sure that's a biblical attitude to have. Again, good work ethic, two thumbs up. Not valuing that rest is a gift from God for you, his created one. Remember, Jesus himself understood his human limitations. You know, I just have to do a real quick shout-out encouragement. Um, I've got some close people in my life who deal with mental illness, and it makes life very difficult for them. But what I learn from them, and I'm very honored by them as people who speak into my life, is that they understand and embrace their human limitations because they've had to learn what they are, and to become healthy people, they've had to learn how to embrace that, how to put up um, proper boundaries in, in order to live rightly and healthily. And sometimes I need to hear some of that speaking into my life. So if that's you or someone in your life, learn from them and just be encouraged by the Lord knowing that he's for you. So Jesus modeled this. You know, I found this quote a while ago that I really love. I think, I think uh, we've got it here. It's by a, an author named Trish War- Harrison Warren. And she says, I love this, what if Christians were known as a countercultural community of the well-rested people who embrace our limits with zest and even joy? What if? We would much rather have the busy badge to impress everyone Or what about modeling kingdom Sabbath, kingdom values of Jesus? What if we were celebrated as a countercultural community of the well-rested? Those, because, not at all about laziness or sloth, but because we understand the truth of human limitation, as Jesus did, and know that God's gift to us is a rhythm of rest for us to be healthy and also for us to be the kind of followers of Jesus that are going to be effective in our life. And that was always God's purpose for Sabbath. One of my favorite authors is a gentleman named Eugene Peterson. He uh, written tons of books for us pastors that are dysfunctional, so I really love reading them. And uh, he also did the message. But he, when he would um, define Sabbath, it's one of my favorite definitions of Sabbath, he just calls it this, praying and playing. It's my favorite. Praying and playing. There you go, that's Sabbath. Another, another quote, and I wish, I wish I knew who to give credit to this one. I think probably a lot of people use it. But this is an important thing to understand. Um, Sabbath rest is a rhythm, not a reward. Rest that God intends for us is a rhythm, not a reward. See, here's the problem. If we only see rest as a reward for when we get everything done... Well, either A, we'll never rest, (laughs) or B, we will develop an unhealthy pattern of devaluing rest to the fact that we will not develop the kind of rhythm of Sabbath rest that God would have for us. Because rest is a rhythm. See, rest, from God's point of view, is the opportunity to stop. Because the work will always be there, but we make it a priority to say, there will be a time in my week to stop, both to honor God but also to rest 
and be present for the important people in my life, including my spiritual community. Now, I've got to run out of time here, but I've got, I got to tell one, one more story here. And Darren's not here today to back up if this is true or not, so Chantel, you have to tell him. I'm telling Darren's story today. But a few weeks ago, when I knew this message was coming, and so I wanted to talk to Darren about his view on Sabbath. And so one of the questions I asked him, I said, Darren, you know, I notice that most of the farmers in our church um, seem to not work on Sundays, it, you know, and I, I've, I've noticed that. And, and I said to him, you know, like, is that just something that's so ingrained in tradition? Or is there a reason that that's a real deep conviction for people? Do you want to know what he said? I'm not going to tell you. Anyway, you'll have to ask him. <laughs> now, however, coming out of that conversation, Darren told a little story about his dad, who was a farmer. And I love this story. He said, that, Darren said, when I was a kid, we're driving to church one Sunday... And I can't remember if it was seeding or harvest, but it was one of those seasons where everyone's nervous and you're going full out to want to get done, right? All of you farmers know what I'm talking about. Well, probably everybody in this room does anyway. Well, anyway, they're driving to church and he notices that other farmers are working. And so Darren basically says to his dad, Dad, does this not ever freak you out that, you know, they're getting work done and you're taking the day off to go to church? Like, are you okay with this? And his dad said to him, something to the effect of, and again, these are Darren's words, not mine, but something to the effect of, well, you know, son, after years and years of doing this, we always get done. And what a simple but profound thing to say, right? You know, like his commitment to just saying, you know what, we're going to stop. Is the work done? No. Is the pressure there? Yes. But is the value of God's Sabbath rest more important? So, no, the work's not done. It's not a reward. It's a rhythm. And says, we're just going to stop. And even by stopping, it's an act of faith to say, we're going to trust you, God, to provide. Now, I know that's easy for me to say, I'm a pastor, I'm not a farmer. For all of you farmers and ranchers out there, I have so much admiration for you. Big time faith to do what you do and be blessed. But it blesses my socks off. Yeah, I do have socks. Blesses my socks off for you to live that kind of faith, where you say, God will be faithful. I will live out this value because it's God's good for me. And I hope we can all learn from that. Because you know what? Those have, I also have a real heart for small business owners. Because for small business owners, there seems to be no rest. I don't know how some of you do it. Um, God's strength and courage to you. But you know, we've got to figure out a way, no matter what our lot in life is, we've got to figure out a way to value rest enough to make it a rhythm in our life a rhythm in our life for God to do his work in us and for us to rest in the way he intended us as human, limited, humans created. So I hope to encourage you with that. Okay, one, one last thing to say with one minute to go before noon. You know, my heart really goes out to, well, it goes out to other two other groups of people. Those of you who um, much of your life is being a caregiver, to those who need constant care and there's not a lot of, lot of rest in your life. My heart goes out to you and breaks for you and I know that this is a hard message to hear because it can feel like, where on earth is Sabbath rest for me? My heart also goes out to young families, to those of you that have a lot of kids and it's like, oh, when does rest ever happen? You know, I remember being um, in my mid-30s, four young kids at home, and then I would read these books on Sabbath by guys my age. 
like old guy Don now. And, and in, of course, in these books, they always like lived in like the Oregon coast or Vancouver Island. They had no kids at home. And so then they'd always tell their grand story of, my wife and I, we Sabbath on Mondays. That's our Sabbath. And what we do is we make a nice picnic lunch. And then we go on a beautiful hike through God's creation, looking at the mountains and the waterfalls and the ocean. And then after all that quiet time, then we have our picnic lunch together. And then we have a wonderful discussion about our relationship and share all the things about our spiritual lives together and all our hopes and dreams for our children and pray together. And then we hike home. And that's what we do on our Sabbath. And I'd be so mad. <laughs> I'd be so mad. That is not my life. And right now, how on earth do I ever get Sabbath? How does my poor wife ever get Sabbath? So anyway, do I have easy answers for any of you in those two categories? I do not. My heart breaks for you as I know God's heart does. And I don't want to try to give you any antidotes from how we tried to figure it out when I was at that stage. And we, we had a care, caregiving stage too. All I can say is, you know, like married couples, if there's any way that you can stave each other off, even if it's like for a few hours at a time, even that for that season of life can be really helpful. And can I just say, church family, if there's a way that the Spirit prods you, if you're at a stage of life where you have a little more time that you can help some other people that are in those situations, just to have small bits of rest, small bits of being able to feel alive again and have time with God and others in their life. If God puts that in your heart, I encourage you to encourage those people by offering your help. Because we need to walk this out together in community too. So anyway, I know it's not easy, but I do believe that from scripture and from the teachings of the ages, that God's heart for us is this rhythm of rest. But we do have to be intentional. It will not just happen because we think, oh, I should do that. No, you have to put it on the calendar and you have to decide to do it. And sometimes a rhythm of rest is weekly. Sometimes it's daily. It's, a, it's, that, it's that moment of quiet with God. Sometimes it's, there's a month, there's, for some there's a monthly or even a yearly rhythm to rest where you get it in the calendar ahead of time that we're going to take this time to take care of ourselves and to take care of our spiritual lives. But we have to be intentional. So, I will now conclude, <laughs> for sure this time, with the words of Jesus from Matthew, but this time from the message said in a, in a really unique way. Breathe it into your spirit today. The words of Jesus. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. The words of Jesus, an invitation from him to give you rest for your soul and to try to help you get rest in other areas too. So let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for this beautiful gift. The gift that started in creation 
when you stopped and you knew your creation needed to stop. And so, Lord, what a beautiful, beautiful gift. And we say first, thank you. I now pray, Holy Spirit, that you will pour out in this room. And I pray that you will give courage to each person here to value rest the way Jesus did. I pray for creativity and intention and ways for you to help people figure this out. But Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you will convict us where we need convicting. And Lord, that you will encourage us where we need encouragement. And Lord, I pray that we can model in our culture and in our church that as followers of Jesus, we're to be the people of rest, the people of calm, the people of peace, the people of hope. Oh Lord, help us to be like Jesus and embrace our human limitation without fear or shame, but to acknowledge your gift and your love and your hope in our lives. So Lord, I pray this kind of beautiful Sabbath rest over this congregation, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.